He's 90% deaf in his right ear. <laughs> and when you sit on the passenger side of a vehicle, you're talking into someone's right ear. And he, so he never he didn't you. even respond hey. to half the things I said. Yeah. I didn't know this at that point. <laughs> so I thought that he just the did not now. like me at all. That's, I think that's probably a first aid conversation. I need you to know something. <laughs> you know? I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm not ignoring you. I'm literally deaf in one ear. Well, hey, everybody, I'm Jeremy. And I'm Jody. And this is the Unremarkable Podcast, Season 2. I don't even know what episode do you know. I think we're on like five. Five, episode five of Season 2. And last week we took a little bit of a break uh, from interviewing other pastors uh, that, and families that we know, and uh, we spent some time talking about Awake in Northwest Tennessee, and this Saturday, this coming Saturday, the 17th of August, we have our kickoff event at the uh, Capitol Theater in downtown Union City, 6 o'clock. It's going to be incredible. We've ordered balloons. We, we've got, we've got balloons. green and white balloons, and as soon as I find some helium... Um, then we'll we'll, we'll get I'm them. Sure, blown there's up. someone around here that's got helium is stinking no. expensive. <laughs> um, so uh, so anyway, so tonight we are back with regularly scheduled programming, and we're interviewing two of uh, our friends, really special to me. I'll let them introduce themselves and tell you a little bit about where they're from. We'll start here with my friend on my left. You're right. He's number twenty-two in your program. He's number one in your heart. I, I don't know. <laughs> How's that work? I'm Dan Huggins. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ, and I'm the pastor of the Refuge Church here in Union City. Awesome. And I am Julie Huggins, and I am Dan's wife. First and foremost, I am the mother of six kids. Yeah. And lastly, I'm the administrator of the Bridge of West Tennessee. The, the Bridge of Northwest Tennessee. Is, is West Tennessee? It's or West Tennessee. Okay, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm in Northwest okay. mode. Um, <laughs> listen, Dan, and you guys may not know this, Dan Dan, and Julie are super special to me in particular and, and to me and Jody a little bit more in general. When I first moved to Union City, um, th- there weren't a whole bunch of pastors chomping at the bit to talk to me. Uh, you know, I don't know. You're the new kid in town. And... Uh, and uh, Jack Long at Beulah Baptist said, you need to come to the Ministerial Association. You've got to meet Dan Huggins. And um, and so I did, and and Dan's making a face like, why are you going to? Anyway, um, they, they, this family has been so gracious to our family. Uh, we've had meals in your home and, and partnered with you guys on so many different projects over the years. And uh, so glad that you guys are joining us for the podcast. Glad to be here. Tell us yeah. a little bit about um, where you're from and when you got into the ministry. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Remember that. We try to a, keep it down to about an hour. Because yeah. <laughs> you're not a native, just for those who know, like Jeremy and I are not native um, Union City people, neither are you guys. No, no we are not. not. Uh, we both come from different parts of, uh, of the planet. Mm-hmm. I grew up in uh, northeast Mississippi, and I was a preacher's kid. Had a boy. Um my heritage is the Church of Christ. Uh, we call it C squared, and uh, and so wait, okay, the two C's. Yeah, I get the it. two okay. C's. Yeah, Church of Christ. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and I, uh, the last thing in the world I ever wanted to be was a preacher. I swore to God I'd never be a preacher, and so I I did my best to uh, take myself out of any possibility of being a preacher. Uh, and was a very rebellious preacher's kid. 
So why why did you not want to be a preacher? What what drove you away from that? As parents that have kids, Jody and I are like, I don't want to push my kids away from yeah. <laughs> uh good grief. My my dad was never available to to go to any of my sporting events mm-hmm. because he was always doing church work mm-hmm. and saving the world. And uh, I appreciated him for that. But as a kid, you know, your your perspective is you want your, your dad to be at your stuff. Yeah. Right. And uh, probably one of the most embarrassing things that happened to me as a kid was I had made All-Stars one year in baseball. And uh, I was playing a catcher, and it was VBS week. And so my mom pulls up in the outfield fen- at the outfield fence in the Church of Christ van mm. and honks the horn. Oh, no. And midway through the ball game, I have to leave to go to vacation Bible school. <gasps> mm. oh, and so at a very early age, I, I began to resent um, church, mm. and I saw my fair share of hypocrites. Mm. Um, and while all the all the while I was expected to be the the perfect preacher kid, right. couldn't yeah. couldn't go mix swimming, couldn't play basketball because in the seventies the the shorts were really. Tight. You're showing in shorts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you, they're going back that way. Back yeah. back there, right? no, you wouldn't catch me in them. <laughs> <laughs> and so I just, uh, yeah. I just really had no desire to to do anything as far as church. So rebelled hard, like Very. a lot of pastors' kids. Didn't want to go in the ministry. Did you actually on. begin a career doing something else? I went into chemical engineering and uh, and went to Mississippi State for that and yeah. dropped out mm-hmm. of that with a couple of semesters to go. Yeah. So what, what drew you into the ministry then? Uh, God knocked the living daylights out of me. Yeah. Uh, an 18-wheeler ran over me. Wow. And uh, put me in traction for eight days and physical wow. therapy for a year. And during that during that year's time, I had I had the opportunity to look back at the last six seven years of my life and realize where I had gone wrong and what I was doing. And you know, God gave me a mulligan, a do over, and uh, I had to do a lot of lot of soul searching. And I went into it kicking and screaming. Yeah, <laughs> I did not want to be a preacher. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I feel you. God has to, for me, God had to take me down right to, like, the core of who I was. Mm-hmm. Like, the, there was a moment for me, and I've, I've shared the story before, but, you know, where where it's it's you and God, and there's nobody else, and there's nowhere to run, and um, and you get to the point where you go, fine. You know, you kind of, you kind of, for me, it wasn't a, so much a belligerence. It was just a, okay, if you'll, if you'll, if you'll let up, <laughs> if you'll let He's on. I'll do whatever it is. And I felt like if I didn't uh, answer God's call, that something bigger than an eighteen wheeler was yeah. going to swallow yeah. me, mm-hmm. and yeah. uh, like a whale. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. It became very clear. It sounds mm-hmm. like. So, so what what happened then? You go. You decide to go into the ministry. Do you immediately get a church, or do you go to school? Or it, it was a you know when you 
when you have the opportunity to look back at it and you see how God connects dots, uh, the town that I was living in, in Crystal Springs, Mississippi, um, the, the Church of Christ there was very small. And so when I started attending there, they had a part-time preacher who knew my dad very well, mm-hmm. was good friends with my dad from way, way back. So there was that connection, and he and his wife would drive down from Kosciuszko, Mississippi, every weekend. And um, one thing led to another. Uh, I began to take part in the worship, um, and he was going to be going one Sunday. He asked me to, to speak. And I had spoken. I, I was trained to preach as a kid. You know, we mm-hmm. were we were taught how to get up in front of five hundred people and and do those kind of things. So I knew how to do it. Um, it was a matter of whether I wanted to or not. <laughs> right. And so when he asked me to to fill in for him one Sunday, I said sure. So I did, and um, it. It was horrible. I, I wouldn't. I would. I would not have wanted to listen to my. Yeah. To my yeah. Now, now, typically, what I hear from people that preach their first sermons is one of two things happens: either you start in Genesis, you can go to Revelation, and you preach for like forty-five minutes or an hour, or you, you're done in ten minutes. Like it's one or the two. Like there's never a, a happy medium. What was it He's for you? Well, I've never. I've never had. A, <laughs> never had a short sermon. Yeah. I'll just say that. It's not hard for folks like me and you to fill up time, is it? Mm-hmm. No. <laughs> so one thing led to another, and and um, they there were a lot of people who were suggesting, hey, if I was going to go down this path, then I probably needed to get some education, and uh, and so I went to. They, Magna- that was after they heard your first sermon. Yeah, <laughs> you should go to school, <laughs> please. <laughs> And so I went to Magnolia Bible College in Kosciuszko, Mississippi, yeah. and um, uh, lost all of my chemical engineering hours but 19, and so basically had to start all over, mm. and I went there for eight years and preached full-time and, and uh, school part-time, mm-hmm. drove back and forth every, every week. Mm-hmm. Mm. So was your church that you worked at? Vocational at the time, or was it a full time? So you were doing full time. It was a it was a full time situation uh, where I was supported not only by the church, but there were other churches mm-hmm. um, throughout Mississippi and Alabama that were supporting me and sending monthly support for me to be able to do that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people don't realize um, the 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 many different denominations that do bivocational, like several yeah. churches around here who share a pastor yeah, and mm-hmm. that how, how much, you know, you're, you don't necessarily live in the community. So it's even more difficult to minister to community because you're not there always knowing what's going on or you're ministering to two communities yeah. if you have mm-hmm. two different churches. And so that's, that's a yeah. challenge as well. Yeah, so Dana and I have friends uh, that we know through the ministry association and, and, and others that, that have a couple churches in their charge. At one point in time, I think we had a friend that had six churches mm-hmm. yeah. that he was mm-hmm. responsible for, and uh, and 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 you know, in my naivety, like I, I just kind of go, well, listen, couldn't would it, would it, you know, why don't you just all come together, right? 
And uh, unfortunately, that's where the, 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 the really what it boils down to is the church politics just kind of just kind of becomes an issue. Like mm-hmm. this is our building, and we want to be in our building. We want to do it our way, and so you know they 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 become so territorial that that we're going to share a pastor with somebody because we can't afford to pay one and. Um, gosh, I, I can't imagine how difficult that would be. Well, I was thinking if we were being, not just a bivocational yeah. in one church, but to have multiple churches right. that you're responsible mm-hmm. for. And we're mm-hmm. just thinking about trying to pull pull back the curtain on the transparency of ministry. Is you know, um, we assume as congregants that's our pastor, and so why can't they be there for our baby's birth or things yeah. like that? Right. Well, hey, there's two more churches. Yeah, that's other right. people having babies, mm-hmm. and we forget mm-hmm. that this yeah. this how thin yeah. they're stretched. Just, just one dude. So, yeah. So let's ask you. When you met him, he was already in the ministry, right? Yes. So you were so cool you with knew what you were getting into. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea what I was getting into. <laughs> you at least knew he yeah, was in the ministry. Why don't you tell them our story, how we oh, met? Yeah. Oh wow. <laughs> I'm going to so, eat a week then. You go ahead. <laughs> so the really short version of my story is that I also grew up in the Church of Christ, and as a college student, I went off the rails because I also. Um, was not a good legalistic rule keeper. <laughs> and I felt like um, I could never get it right, so why even try? Mm-hmm. And just went crazy. Ended up marrying someone out of guilt. And the preacher that performed our wedding ceremony was Dan Huggins. I, how did I not know that? <laughs> <laughs> Okay. His oldest <laughs> two you daughters know? were actually flower girls in my wedding. I had six flower girls because I couldn't choose yeah. one. Yeah. Um, so. Six. Well, time out. Six flower girls. I, I was still hung up on Dan did your first wedding, but six flower girls. Six. Yes. How many, How many attendants did you have? I think I had three. So more flower girls. It was kind of a nightmare of a wedding, so I honestly can't remember. <laughs> Dan, Dan's going, yeah. yeah. Was, I mean, there was even a snake hanging in the tree. There like was, above. It was an outdoor wedding. It, it was, was terrible. Snake in the tree. It was never. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, it was never supposed yeah. to happen. It was Woo! never supposed to happen. Wow. And so, Did he offer you apple? Because that's when you go, I'm out. Listen, I walked every step going down that aisle. Knew I, was make, I knew I was making a mistake. Mm. It was terrible. And that wedding, I mean, that marriage lasted um, nine months. Mm. So I never had a first anniversary. And it was a terrible time in my life. And in the meantime, uh, my family had moved. Dan was my parents' preacher. I was back and forth to college from Mississippi to Missouri. Mm. And so I was hardly ever there. Mm. And when I did see him at the times when I was home, I wouldn't talk to him because I figured a preacher could see straight through Mm. all of the crazy that I was living at that point. And so um, he thought I was a snob. And um, (laughs) I, my parents moved to Alabama from Mississippi and when everything went south and I was divorced and had just graduated from college, I went and lived with my parents for a little while, got my first teaching job. And that was about a, a two to three year period between when I got married and whenever um, my parents had moved and everything. And during that time, Dan and his first wife also divorced. And so there was a big gap between when I had known him as a preacher and then he kind of re-entered the picture. 
and the person that made that happen was my dad. Really? Yeah. I don't he think was I the knew that part because they were very good friends, and so, um, you know, it, he did play matchmaker. I knew y'all had met, and then so it, then whenever we finally, finally, after lots and lots of problems, even getting started dating, we dated for three weeks. We got engaged, and we got what? married three weeks later. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. <laughs> I knew y'all had met before and then started dating years later, but I did not know it was that short. Yeah. Wow. It was the world's quickest <laughs> courtship. <laughs> you know what? Tell me, Dad. We, 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 actually, we actually went out once before what I called our Don't first Don't tell first this date. lie. <laughs> Don't you lie about what I said because you always say that. I did not say it. Well, that was when I called her up the first time to ask her to go out with me, and yeah. she wouldn't. And she said she had to wash her hair and clean the toilet. <laughs> never said she did. She said I never likely said that. But, but when we finally we we saw each other at a youth at a youth uh, rally, <laughs> and we went out to eat just to talk about basically our. Our mission trips that we've both been on. She had been to the Ukraine, and I had gone to Panama several times. And um, asked her who her favorite football team was. Oh uh, no! <laughs> and she said Auburn, of course. War and Eagle. I said War Eagle. Roll Tide. <laughs> and then I said, Well, who, who's your favorite, you know, uh, professional team? And she said the Dallas Cowboys because uh. she's from Texas. <laughs> and I'm like, You know what? This isn't gonna this work. This ain't gonna work. <laughs> No. And, and it didn't for another three months. <laughs> I didn't see her, speak to her, whatever, for another three months. There's also another part of this that you need to understand. He's 90% deaf in his right ear. <laughs> and when you sit on the passenger side of a vehicle, you're talking into someone's right ear. <laughs> and he so didn't, never he didn't even respond hey. to half the things I said. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know this at that point. <laughs> So I thought that he just did not now? like me at all. Oh, no. That's, I think that's probably a first date conversation. I need you to know something. <laughs> you know? I can't hear you. Yeah, I'm not ignoring you. I'm literally deaf in one ear. He didn't know he was ignoring well, me. Well, let me, let me ask you this question because I think this, this mm-hmm. is really, really mm-hmm. interesting. Both of you guys have experienced divorce and then remarriage, and in the church and in ministry. Oh, a lot of yeah. times that comes with a lot of garbage yeah, no, that no. has to be dealt with. How did the church respond to you guys? How did you all deal with that? Was, How did you navigate those waters? That's got to be tough. It was terrible. Mm. It's terrible. Well, I was told uh, by the church that I was at that by some of the members, not, not the leadership, that I could never remarry, mm-hmm. even though my wife at that time admitted uh, to an affair um, that I could never remarry and that I didn't have a scriptural divorce. Because in the state of Mississippi, in order for you to, uh, if you file on grounds of adultery in Mississippi, it has to go to trial. Mm. And we, I didn't want to do that and drag my kids through that. So... I only I filed irreconcilable differences with her admitting in the divorce decree that she had had an affair. Wow. So there was there was a you know uh, butting heads over uh, that issue with a few legalists in in our heritage, 
but overall there was a great support um, and uh, and I offered my resignation they would not accept it and uh, but then after Julie and I got married uh, and lived there for another I guess it was another year and a half probably mm-hmm. that we lived there it was it was time for us it was time for us to leave there and and leave that part of our life kind of kind of behind us and the in the stain of all that and the in the pain mm-hmm. of, of all that and kind of start over but yeah. the truth of the matter is we're never really able to put it in the past because we he has been the pulpit minister at three other churches since then mm-hmm. and every time that we interviewed with a church and we're talking about taking on that work or whatever there had to be a very long discussion about mm. exactly what the circumstances were and mm. and and I you know I don't mind telling anybody what the circumstances were but but even when we moved here while the while the eldership uh, at the church that I moved here to uh, was very understanding and, and accepting of that, there were some churches of Christ here in in this area that absolutely just you know you're you're divorced. Why are you preaching? Yeah. Uh, it's like you have to wear the the scarlet letter around your your neck for the rest of your life and wow. and there were several congregations that I had sent a, a resume to said mm-hmm. you know, no way you're divorced but, and that's not even really um, just a problem with with families that are in the ministry that's a problem yeah. across mm-hmm. churches and denominations divorce seems to sure. be the unforgivable sin I sure. guess you could say um, which we mm-hmm. kind of well has become part of our ministry, yeah, right. I think, I think, to a large degree, you're right. One of the things I think folks that are listening probably need to understand is, you know, when you sign up to be in the ministry, there's biblical qualifications that come with that. Mm-hmm. And I have no problem with the church evaluating a pastor before mm-hmm. they hire and having that conversation. I, I think that's that's probably appropriate in in some cases, as long as it's handled with grace and with love. Absolutely. But but the the thing that I I think we miss a lot of times is divorce even the best divorces stink like mm-hmm. e- even the ones where they're so amicable like they're just terrible and and they're very traumatizing to individuals and and there's a lot of pain and guilt and all that that goes with that and both of my parents have been divorced and I got to go through that with them as an adult and all of those things but um, but every time we have to rehash through that conversation and every time we have to talk mm-hmm. about that again, mm-hmm. it drags all of that back up. And, 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 and even though there may be a decade or more between the event and now, we still relive that. We still experience that trauma all over again. Right. Um, not, not any different than anybody else does. <clears throat> but that's just but that's something that we kind of have to, have to deal with. I want to fast forward, mm-hmm. if we can, just a little bit. Um, to, to, to really, when I have heard your story before, you're, you're here at Church of Christ in town and, and you're serving, and then, and then there's this, there's this uh, hinge point in your ministry uh, that, that I think there's probably a number of things that happened, but the, the story that you guys have told me um, involves Julie having a dream. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I would love to just kind of hear the, 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 the version of that story and then talk about how that kind of changed y'all, the way that y'all did ministry and 
kind of the struggles along the way with regard to that? Well, let me set that that dream up. I uh, Julie and I had directed uh, Real Foot Youth Camp here uh, for several years, and uh, at at the last one that I directed, or next to the last one I directed, I had a really bad sermon illustration, and. Uh, as a result of that really bad sermon illustration, I ended up in the EMR. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and, and I thought I had some bad illustrations before. I, I think I think I'm the only preacher that's had to file three workers' comp claims. Oh, but um, I had to have both my elbows sewn up, and I also tore my rotator cuff in that process. And... <laughs> So, as a result of having rotator cuff <laughs> surgery... Did you have four friends lowering you through a roof? Something similar to that. And dropped me. Uh, <laughs> they literally did. Yeah, they did. On cement. Oh, and, uh, my gosh. <laughs> so, Mike, Mike Calfee uh, fixed my shoulder. Oh. And as, as I'm, <clears throat> I'm laid up, uh, I, I'm supposed to be off work for... For several weeks, and I just couldn't, and so I'm, I'm <laughs> because Sunday happens every week. It does, Wh- whether so, or not we're sick or in traction or that's whatever. Right. And, and you so, better bring your A game, preacher. <laughs> that's right, even with one arm. Even with one arm. <laughs> and so uh, I'm laid up on the couch, and I and I'm thinking, um, you know, Mike Calfy, Michael, 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 Warring Angel. Okay, and my primary care physician is Michael Chad Odell, mm-hmm. and so I, I I got to thinking about that, and and I sent both of them a letter explaining um, why I felt like God had put me in contact with both of them, mm-hmm. and that that we wanted to do something in the community. Had no idea what it was that would cross denominational lines. Mm-hmm. And uh, would they come over to our house and eat and pray? And, uh, and so that's kind of uh, what led to Julie's dream. Of, and I'll let you pick it up from there. Well, we had some really good conversations that night about different things that we could do. And one of the things that we decided was to try to find a some kind of ministry that was not already being done in this area mm-hmm. because we have a lot of really good ministries. We have a lot of really good services out there. Um, and there were, a, we had discussed and I had also discussed with other friends in other churches that there are a lot of single mothers that were in our church that just needed tons and tons of support. Mm-hmm. Um, all kinds of different support. And what to do about helping them was the big question. And so after we had that dinner just a couple of days later, I I woke up, and God just works this way with me. Um, I'll dream things or something crazy will happen, and I've learned to just not think it's crazy. It's just God talking. Um, but I dreamed that we bought a house. And it was me and Dan that bought the house. And so I knew that it had something to do with what we had been praying about, about some kind of new ministry. So I woke up at 5 o'clock in the morning because I get up with the roosters. 
And I started looking online to see what was the cost of another house and what could he and I do to purchase a house? I mean, we've got our own mortgage to pay (laughs) (laughs) on a preacher's salary. Right, right. And so um, he said, what are you doing? I said, I think God's telling us to buy a house. He said, okay. And he just rolled over and went back to sleep. (laughs) Time out now. Because here's where maybe I don't want to know exactly what you're thinking. Because, like, Jody is the dreamer in our house, like, in a lot of ways. Like, she dreams. And I'm like, they call me, they call me the bubble popper. I'm the squasher. I'm the dream killer. That's what I am. Uh, he is. It's I don't like, like it. I don't like the fact that Sometimes I am. the girls call him butternut. Like squash, butternut. Squash. <laughs> what was your thought when she said, I, I think God's telling us to buy a house? Well, when she said that, my first, honest, my first reaction was, and of course I'm still half asleep, I said, honey, we have a house. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need yeah, to buy that's right. And then she, she told me, and she, she showed me all these, these houses that she had been looking at online. And I have learned to listen to her uh, radar and her... Um, dreams or whatever it is, how God speaks to her. I don't always like it, but I've learned to, to listen to it and and not make fun of it anymore. <laughs> anymore. Can you teach me? I used to call her a witch because I mean, she had all these witchy kind of, you know, but, but then they all started coming to fruition. And, and like, he decided okay, maybe. I better listen, not call her that anymore. It was good, not bad. Now, the story that, that, that goes out of that is, is really quite cool. You, you have, you know, you go from, we're going to start trying to figure out how to buy a house. Dan's going to talk to mortgage guys at banks and yes. what do we need to do to pay for a house. And, and all of a sudden you have a bank go, let's, let's, hey, we've got a house we're trying mm-hmm. to get rid of. What if we donated it to you? And then you get another house, you know, mm-hmm. and you're able to sell one of the houses to get the other house. And yeah, Don't and, rush through that. Like well, that's, they went to get a mortgage to buy a house and the banker said, hey, we got one. No, the banker said, I, I, I asked him, I said, how can I borrow $20,000? Mm-hmm. And he said, are you in trouble? <laughs> and I said, no. And I explained to him what we were wanting to do. And that's when he said, how, how would you like to have a house for free? And I said, free is in our price range. <laughs> yeah, it happens to be what we're looking for. So that, that's kind of, you know, yeah. that was just... Uh, and you see the dots connect. Yeah. Uh, I got in the car and I immediately called Julie and I told her, "How would you like a house for free?" Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you're there, teaching school at the time, correct? Actually, I was working at a, a crisis pregnancy center. I was working over at Agape House. Mm-hmm. I was um, taking a year off, getting my master's degree that I only used for three more years. <laughs> <laughs> But it's like Dan said, when you look back on things, you can see how God was preparing mm-hmm. us for the ministry that we're doing now. Mm-hmm. And and when when we got that house for free, it was like things went into fast forward. Mm. And there were so many people that were interested in that kind of ministry. We immediately formed a steering committee. Several weeks later, we had um, someone call up and say, we're trying to liquidate an estate. Would you like another house? Um, it just, 
it just all happened really fast. So let's pause. We said that kind of ministry. So you've mentioned a ministry for single moms, and you mentioned a house. Mm-hmm. Kind of cast now that vision of what ministry was was making people attracted to helping or okay. being involved. Well, what we found out, um, we, we discussed the fact that, you know, we need to figure out what we could do for a lot of these single moms. Some, A lot of them are what we, in a rural area, would consider homeless. Mm-hmm. They have a roof over their head, but they're living with two other families in one home, right. or they're sleeping on someone's couch, or... You know, going from a hotel, bouncing around, whatever. Right. And we did some research when we started talking about ministering to single mothers to see what was available in this area. And we found out that there are a lot of what you call multi-bed facilities. There are homeless shelters within an hour of here. There are rehab centers within an hour of here. There's actually a domestic abuse shelter here in town. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of what we call phase one things, um, facilities. What was missing was what we call phase two. And that is a place where you set up a single family dwelling. And that woman and her children live there on their own and operate that household as if it's her own. Yeah. Until she's confident enough and stable enough to be able to move into her own home. Mm-hmm. And there's still a lot of accountability. And um, so that's what that was the model that we created was the phase two. So what you've seen in um, numerous locations, not just this rural location, is that, like the idea of phase two for those of you that may be um, clarifying that. Like, so a kid, so a mom goes to rehab. And what we see, even in the city, not just in rural areas, is when they were released from um, a situation where they've been, um, had some kind of therapy, you know, you're on your own, but they all, the only place they have to go is back to where the crisis mm-hmm. and the right. conditions mm-hmm. were. And so phase two right. is that, hey, let's get you, let's not repeat that cycle. Exactly. So. Exactly. Yeah. And, and as a pastor, I remember the first time we came to your house for dinner and you were telling us about this. I, at that point... You had the house. We hadn't had the first resident in it yet. Right. And um, and I can remember thinking about women that I had dealt with mm-hmm. at our previous churches where I was like, oh, man, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. here's a woman that, um, that could function so much better if she had some people talking to her about how to manage her money. Mm-hmm. If she had some people that were talking to her about how do I shop for groceries. Mm-hmm. Um, because they, you know, th- there was never, there was just, they just didn't know. And it wasn't that they were bad or stupid. They just didn't know, right? They, they fully could do it. They just needed somebody to come alongside them and walk alongside them. And, mm-hmm. and I thought, man, that is such, such an amazing um, idea. And so I know the, the bridge became separate from the church that you guys were at at the time. Yeah. It's its own nonprofit. But... Uh, but tell me, how how did the two work together? And, and, and Dan, how did your church respond as you guys started moving in this direction? Because it's Julie's project, but 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 you're hands-on. Like, you're, you're neck deep in renovations and all that. I'm sure that pulled you away from church stuff sometimes. And we, we've, we basically started finding ourselves um, ministering to marginalized people. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Not but, just mi- single women. Right, right. Just marginalized people in general. Define, oh, define right. that. What, what, when you say marginalized people, you mean people that are kind of pushed off to the edge. Not, yes. 
for all kinds reason. of different reasons, mm-hmm. and mostly live at poverty level. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The very least of these. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, listen, if you want, I mean, if if we want to be honest, I prefer that. Um, <laughs> the there were individuals in our in our church uh, that were very supportive, but the church as a whole uh, was not. Mm-hmm. Um, it just it just wasn't um, supportive uh, of Julie and her doing this, uh, of me being involved in that. I mean, we tried to present it uh, to them, but. Um, and especially when when Julie started celebrate recovery through the bridge, because so many of the women that she was ministering to had addiction problems, mm-hmm. and so celebrate recovery kind of grew out of that mm-hmm. as a necessity. Um, they I, did allow her to have an office space there, but as far as inquiring how the ministry was going or participating in the ministry there there was none mm-hmm. and I, I attribute that to a certain level of fear sure that yeah. I think that a lot of people have even really good faithful Christian people when you are dealing with someone who comes from totally different circumstances right. than you're familiar with yeah. it's scary and it's yeah. uncomfortable yeah. and you don't know what to do. And one of the things that we learned and another big piece of this is that simultaneously at the time that we were getting the bridge off the ground, Dan had also started something called Soul Food Cafe, which was where we basically feed the community two times a month. It's a free meal and it's for those people who need a good hot meal because they may not get one until the next time Mm -hmm. that we have um, Soul Food Cafe. And so... We started attracting, and I don't even know how we got there, but we started attracting a lot of people that were coming from really tough circumstances. Mm-hmm. And it, it started to be very uncomfortable in a traditional church setting. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, for everybody on both sides. Sure. Yeah. Everybody's kind of feeling it out, right? Yes. It, both. both both what we would call our marginalized folks and our mainstream folks, right? Yeah, the people from the housing yeah. project were not comfortable coming inside sure. of a church building sure. because the church building was beautiful and and they felt mm. like they needed church clothes and they felt like right. you know that there was a certain expectation mm-hmm. on how they were supposed to act and how what mm-hmm. they were and they Am didn't I know welcome. Yeah. yeah, they didn't know the rules so and to speak. And smell. Yeah. yeah, we talked about this how today in church. Um, as, as we kick off Awaken at Crosswind, we, we're talking about uh, a God that, that seeks out lost things. And um, today we addressed uh, Jesus telling the three stories, lost sheep, lost coin, lost son. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and we talked about how that entire story, those three stories start because Jesus is hanging out with tax collectors and sinners and the church folks didn't like it. Mm-hmm. And, and the phrase that we use, and, and I probably stole it from somewhere along the way because I'm not smart enough to come up with stuff like this on our own, is that people that were not like Jesus, Jesus tended to like those people. Mm-hmm. And, and the people that were not like Jesus tended to like him. And that bugged people. Right. That that had it together, so to speak. Right. That knew when to stand and sit and and what to do at the altar and all of that. And 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 so one of the things we talked about before we, you know, started recording, was just with the four of us at this table is that to do ministry the way that Jesus did ministry, it's it's messy. It involves yes. walking towards the mess. 
Um, we teach this to our home group leaders. We teach this to our elders at Crosswind all the time. It's that, it's that when I engage in the life of someone else, um, no matter where they are, no matter whether they're mainstream or marginalized, when I engage in their life and try to help them become more like Jesus and they try to help me and there's accountability and all that, it's messy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we have to allow ourselves some grace and we have to allow ourselves. But it, it does. It makes everybody uncomfortable. It made the Pharisees and the teachers of the law uncomfortable. I guarantee it made the tax collectors and the sinners uncomfortable. Absolutely. To be, to be, here's, this, here's this guy. I just saw him like... You know, there's a guy blind, and now he can see, and, and this guy did it, and he's teaching me about the kingdom of God. These guys never taught me about mm-hmm. the So since of God you're God. talking about really messy, yeah. let me let me add another piece to, to the puzzle. Yeah. And and I you know, you if you wanna if you wanna know what kind of was the catalyst for us uh, launching the refuge, mm-hmm. it, it was a long process. Mm-hmm. The bridge was definitely uh, the first piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. uh, but then I think the the second piece of the puzzle was uh, a mission trip, uh, not a mission trip, a vision trip mm-hmm. called Drive Bones Denver, mm-hmm. uh, where we took a group of people to Denver, Colorado, to a ministry out there called Drive Bones Denver that ministers to the homeless youth. Mm-hmm. And to, you know, to walk through and, and stay with the homeless over several period of uh, several days and to, to, we had to approach them. We had to talk to them. We had to befriend them and, and walk with, uh, dry bones as they minister to, to these people and, and we we try not to refer to them as those people because <laughs> saying those people automatically marginalizes That's right. them. Yeah, absolutely. It automatically uh, excludes them. Mm-hmm. You know, and so. But what you have is you have people who who have shirts on. I have a picture. Uh, love the picture of the guy that that we uh, got to meet and. Uh, we went to a movie with him, and uh, his his shirt is very profane. Mm-hmm. You know, has has some very profane language mm-hmm. on the shirt. And I, and I was just thinking, you know, should I should I show this picture to to our church family when we get back, or would people just absolutely be blown away right. if they saw that? And mm-hmm. also, there was a there was a. a a, a storm drain that the homeless lived in. And as you come out of the storm drain, we walked back uh, 150 yards into this storm drain. It was pitch black. And as you come out, of course, there's graffiti all over the walls, and a lot of the graffiti is profane. And I'm, I'm doing a video of that, and I'm thinking, should I show this video? Because people just aren't going to get it. They're going to be more... Like the Pharisees who are turned off to the fact that you have people trying to go and minister to these yeah. kinds of people. Yeah. Right. And so that, that was a very eye-opening experience for us when we got back here to understand that there are equally people in our neighborhoods that don't live very far from mm-hmm. Juliana 
that are in pretty much the same circumstances right. as the people that, that yeah. are there. And they aren't going to go to a traditional mainline church. That's right. right. And I'll tell you what, what happened when we got back. The challenge was for us to go find the broken places in our own community. Mm-hmm. And I was totally convicted because the street that our house is on is Main Street. And in this town, Main Street is considered kind of the dividing line between where it's That's acceptable right. to live and where it's not okay. It's right. kind of dangerous, sketchy, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, I was even told when we moved here, I can't even remember who said it, but somebody said, well, I guess you'll be okay on Main Street because that's a historical district. <laughs> nope. But I'll tell you, I took it to heart as a young mother, and mm-hmm. we had lived on Main Street for seven years at that point, and I suddenly realized it took a trip to Denver to mm. help me realize that I literally had never driven across the street. Mm. Mm. I could throw rocks at houses and had had never even seen them before. Yeah. So I got in my truck and I drove down every street in that neighborhood. And I, I, it, every time I tell this story, I get emotional because I had to pull my truck over and I had to sit there and cry and repent mm-hmm. from being so ignorant to not see what was right literally across mm-hmm. the street from me. Mm-hmm. I've been ministering to people in this town for seven years, and I can't even minister to the people that yeah. are right down right down the street from yeah. me. Sometimes though, we have to be taken out of our what's comfortable to uh, you know have an experience and awareness. So you guys, um, um, let's kind of recap. So the bridge is this is the phase two ministry that you guys have that's um, kind of primarily focused on reaching women, not just living in the home. You actually have a home that the residents can stay in, but you also through the bridge facilitate. Um, different kind of educational experiences for people who are a part of the program. Right. So Celebrate Recovery is one of those. You do a financial, um, I guess, seminar lesson series. Right. Um, tell them a couple of other things you do before we go into refuge. We um, have women who will agree. <clears throat> if they agree to come on consultation, which is totally voluntary, um, we put them on a plan mm-hmm. and set goals with them based on their needs. And every woman's different. Right. So it could be relationships. It could be parenting and all those other things that you said, um, recovery topics and financial. The financial um, curriculum that we used was designed specifically for people who live at poverty level. Right. And so it's very different than what we living in the middle-class right. environment would use. Um, one of the things that I that I would say in the midst of all this is that I have learned way more from working with these people than they could than I could have ever taught them. Oh. Way more. Mm-hmm. Just a lot about things that we just turn our eyes to. We just we don't realize. I remember I, I worked with you some on and some of the clients' services, and you guys utilize um members of the community and and in your church to to kind of mentor right and um um just understanding um um, the desperation of the decisions that they have to make um and Mm -hmm. like you know you you're talking about living situations where you have to live with a grandparent that 
or a, an abusive, you know, stepfather or something like that because it doesn't seem like there is another option. And so right. walking them through that. And so you right. guys see this and re- recognize that they need a place where they feel safe. And so mm-hmm. how and so how did you begin deciding to move towards creating a another church body? I think it probably the idea and the seed was planted after that first trip to Denver and then it grew. We we took another trip a couple of years later. But what we started to see was what I what I told you before is that the comfort level was getting um, really difficult for everybody involved. And <laughs> we felt like we needed to possibly move to a location that was um, a little less intimidating, mm-hmm. I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. What would you add to that? I would add to that that um, Julie had been prodding me. (laughs) Another one of those dreams. To, okay, so in 2016, she had been prodding me for a while because we we had really, really gotten just exasperated with legalism, church politics, um, the way that a lot of our friends who were coming through Soul Food Cafe and and beginning to attend were being treated, and it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back, and and so I was honestly, it, it was a struggle for me because it, it doing doing what they envisioned and what what I was was being asked to do was never something that I wanted to do which mm-hmm. was we need to go start another another church right. because I never wanted to be part of a split I never wanted to be uh, at the church that I was at previously they had asked me to do that and I said and I, and I said no I'm not going to have any part of that because I did not want to go somewhere and have people leave there and follow me to a different place I, that that was never my desire mm-hmm. but there were several other people who were disgruntled and and rightly so and and needed a place and so in April of 2016, Julie and I uh, had to take a mental health break uh, and, and get away, and just the two of us. And one of the things that, that we did when we, when we would get away is do a Lectio Divina and a divine reading. And so when we got to where we were, and, and she said, okay, what are we going to read? And I said, I don't I don't know. You know <laughs> I don't ever plan, you know, what we're going to read. And so I said, I'll just open my Bible up, and wherever it wherever it falls is is what we'll read. And it's it's times like that that you you know, okay, God, if I don't answer you, you're going to slap me with another eighteen wheeler. Mm. And I, I've learned to you know to. Avoid those. <laughs> and, and so, big trucks always win. Yeah, I opened my Bible up and it fell to Acts sixteen, mm-hmm. 
Mm. In Acts 16 is where Paul and Barnabas had been kept from the Holy Spirit from going into (laughs) Asia Minor where they had wanted to go. And that night, Paul had a dream of the Macedonian, you know, come over here. Mm. And and even as I, even as I say that now, I get chills because I realize God was, was speaking very clearly to both of us what, what we were supposed to do. And so after we read that, it was with, again, kicking and screaming, uh, that I told Julie, I said, I know, okay. Uh, I know what we have to do. If we hadn't gone through that pain, you know, we read in in one of our books <laughs> for for celebrate recovery, pain is like God's fire alarm. Yeah. If if we hadn't gone through that pain, I'd still be right where I was. Right. No. And if you can, if you know, and and I, I belong to a super secret. Uh, group on Facebook. <laughs> a super secret. Yeah, of, of preachers. And and I read in there, and many of them are from my from my heritage. Uh-huh. And it's sad because they're they're saying the things that I was saying several years ago. Mm-hmm. And you and they're stuck. They're stuck between supporting their family and drawing a paycheck and leaving. That's right. What do you do? That's right. I have to support my family or I'm worse than an infidel. The only degree I have is Bible. What am I going to do? You know, what am I going to do? Work at Walmart and and support my family? Not that there's anything wrong with working at Walmart. We love people that work at Walmart. Just, I love Walmart. <laughs> where else can you, where I else go can there, you buy? I go there three times a day. Where else can you buy bread, peanut butter, and a fire extinguisher all in the same place? Okay, that's all I'm going to say. All right, go ahead. But... I mean, and, and you're, you find preachers find themselves yes. stuck. Yes. Yes. And so if yes. they if they don't kowtow to the leadership, mm. that's right. And and so they are treated. Many many preachers are yeah. are treated more as yeah. an employee. Yes. Right? Yes. Rather than a brother. Yes. Right. Yes. Because we can replace an employee. Mm. That's right. And the most, you know, that was, looking back, I can remember every emotion that was going on then. I was totally 100% confident that ministering to these marginalized people that we decided that that was what we were being called to do, that was not in question. Yeah. What was terrifying was Mm -hmm. we called it diving off a cliff. That's it, yeah. What, how are we going to... Put food on the table, mm-hmm. right. because at that point I had quit my teaching job and I carried all of the insurance, and I had great benefits, and I had quit to be to to take the job with the bridge, making a third of what I made before. I went. I'd already done that, and then here we go again. Right, yeah. and yeah. it was scary. Yeah. I can't imagine. And you have a few more mouths to feed. But, you just said you have six kids. So. Yeah. <laughs> but Dan, you're right. And a couple of puppies. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my goodness. Dan, you're right in, in the fact, and this is something that I think needs to be shouted from the rooftops, in that 
if if uh, if you know if, if we have a friend, a mutual friend, Tommy, that's a banker. If Tommy, I I think I've used Tommy as an example of this before on the podcast. But if Tommy has a a, a marriage issue or a financial issue, or if he uh, struggles with depression or whatever that is. Um, he can he can go and, and seek counseling. He can go and get um, the help that he needs. He could maybe even go to his boss and sit down with his boss and go, here's what's going on in my marriage right now. Mm-hmm. Here's where I'm struggling with and do that. But in the ministry, a lot of times, we don't feel like we can do that. Mm-hmm. We, we have to be so, so strong for everybody else. Because, because we are... Uh, we, we, we are the, 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 I don't know how to even word it, but, but, you know, you're set apart and I think that's, that's right. Um, but on, on the same level, we're not human in a lot of ways. One of the things we talk about is what we call the pastor's dilemma mm-hmm. that because of our skill set and because of our calling, we're put on platforms and a lot of times given microphones and lights are shine in our face. And because of that, um, that creates abnormal stresses and strains on our life and in our family's life. And if we get to a place where we're unhealthy and we can't manage that, ultimately it will undermine our ministry. Which here's here's what you said that I want to make sure everybody hears it. What that does when our ministry is undermined, it affects our income, how we provide for our family, our medical insurance, our housing, everything. Mm-hmm. And so what happens then is pastors don't talk about it. We hide it. And then we become unhealthy and unhealthy and unhealthy and unhealthy. And when we're un- leading from an unhealthy place, we lead unhealthy churches. Right. Um, and that's exactly right. what we see happen. So you have pastors that are sick who need who need a vacation. They don't necessarily need a new job. They just need a, new, need a vacation, mm-hmm. right, um, where they don't have to come home to preach a funeral. Um, um, that has happened so yeah, many times. Yeah. You yeah. get a phone call. You're on vacation with your family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And... Even minor things, not even something as serious as a funeral, but hey, I need a ride to mm-hmm. wherever. Mm-hmm. I'm not here. <laughs> <laughs> not in town. Sorry. We right. have learned to set healthy boundaries, and you have to, and you have to. That you, it's okay for you to say mm-hmm. no. I think that it's okay for for us to recognize that we're not God, mm-hmm. and so we don't have to be omnipotent, omnipotent, and omnipresent, and omnibenevolent, and omni. Uh, whatever else the omnis are. That's the only thing that gets me through some days with the type of ministry that I do. And Dan actually talked about it this morning in his little sermonette because our services are different every other week. But um, he talked about that I'm not Jesus. Yeah. I can't fix everything. Mm Mm-hmm. And there's times whenever I've got to realize that it's all out of my control and he's got it regardless of the choices people make and the things that they do and the frustration. And yeah. I need well, to hear I'm that. I'm thrilled to know you were listening. I was. <laughs> I needed to hear it this morning. Every now and then when my kids or my wife repeat something that I said, uh, I'm like, like wow. okay, well, at least some, one person heard it. Right? <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, well, uh, so so let me ask you this, and 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 we'll kind of just kind of just kind of put a bow on this real quick. But if somebody wanted to get more information mm-hmm. uh, in Union City or around, I mean, I don't know whatever state somebody's listening in, you in Nebraska, we're talking to you. Um, <laughs> if uh, if uh, if somebody wanted to find out more about uh, Refuge Church, uh, where do they go to find that information? Is there a website, a Facebook page? Yeah, there's a Refuge Church. UC for Union City. Right. 
dot com. That's our website, and uh, or they can email me, mm-hmm. uh, Dan Huggins two thousand thirteen at gmail. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they wanted to find out more about the Bridge of West Tennessee and all the amazing work that you're doing with women, I'm super super proud of you guys, both of you. But but the the bridge has just been incredible. Um, it's a great resource for me as a pastor to have. How do they find out about the bridge? Um, we also have a website. It is thebridgewestn. Dot. Dot org. <laughs> okay. I was trying to remember. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. dot org. And if they wanted to email you, where would that, how would they do that? They can um, email me at board, B-O-A-R-D, at thebridgewestn. Um, one of the things that one of the goals of this podcast is we want the next generation of pastors and pastors' families to be healthier than this generation mm. of pastors and pastors' families. So, if there was one thing, you guys can each give me one thing or whatever, one or two things that you could say to the young twenty-something pastor that's just getting started. Maybe he's planning a church, or maybe he's trying to dive into ministering to the least of these, or maybe he's taken a traditional church um, and he's starting to make that three-degree shift. You know to become somebody who's not, what, what is it you would say to them? What words of wisdom would you old folks say to the new guy? You're older than me, Dan. It's the only way I could say to old folks. I think, I, I, think I would say uh, what my dad, who preached for 68 years, said, said to me um, toward the end of his life, and that was, uh, your family is your first ministry. Uh, what good would it do to to save the world if you lose your family? Mm. So spend time with your family, with your kids, and make time for your spouse and you to get away and continue to nourish that relationship. That's mm-hmm. the most important thing because you cannot be effective in helping other people if you and your wife are at each other's neck. Mm-hmm. Understood. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think um, for a preacher or pastor's wife, I would say to uh, remember that you also can make a three-degree shift. Mm. Yeah. I, in our situation, I think it was probably me who did that. I lost who I was mm-hmm. for a while. And... Um, getting back to it was really hard. And I think my husband was a major um, factor in me being able to be who I truly am and not what everyone else expected from me to be. Guys, we um, ask a couple questions of everybody that comes and joins us, and this is a moment for us maybe to have a little bit of fun. Uh, tell me, uh, Dan, what is remarkable right now? Oh, boy, what is remarkable right now? It's the in, only question you could have prepared for. In my life. Um, <laughs> well, I've been trying to think. There's so many things. One of the things that drives me in ministry is to tear down walls between churches and Christians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so one of the things that we have coming up is this this next Sunday, August 18th, is we get to provide the worship 
for all That's the right. people coming to the fair, the yeah. fair workers. Fair's a big deal in Obion County, if you yeah, don't know. Yes. Yeah, and a bunch of rednecks. A bunch and of rednecks. I'm telling you, and we're not talking about the workers. We're talking about the people no, that go the, to the, no, the, the workers. <laughs> the workers from all over the world. Yeah. Um, and so we get to provide worship for them, but it's going to be a co-led worship. Uh, Ron and Gray at the Church of God and I are going to co-preach, if you That's will. That's incredible. That's great. And uh, Mark Breeden... Uh, who used to be the uh, worship leader at First Assembly? First Assembly. Yeah. He is going to uh, lead awesome. lead worship. That's so it's great. a joint effort. Yeah, we have several awesome. people from all different kinds of churches coming yeah. and helping. After worship, we're feeding all the fair workers and the people from the community that come. So we have a lot of people from different churches that are coming and helping out with that. And I just think that's remarkable that's really cool thing, that yeah. people are willing to step out of their brand name Christianity yeah, yeah. to to, to yeah. work together in unity. Yeah. yeah. Julie, what's remarkable to you? Uh, my best answer is my children. Mm. I mean, they just are. And I yeah. know that that's kind of a plug, but hey, my kids are awesome. Yeah. Oh, now you, that. every one of them. Yeah. Yeah. And they're all so different. And are, how, are three of them are in town now? Is that correct? Right Has now, Blake gone back yet? Right now, there's only two. Blake is going to be a junior this year. Gosh, but he's already moved state. back. He he's here until Friday, and then he he was he's been here for a week. He doesn't get a lot yeah. of time off. That's what I was meaning. Like right now, yeah. Three the, but we have one in Jackson, Mississippi. We have one in Jackson, Tennessee, and we have one in Chattanooga. They're all grown, and just to watch them become yeah. the people that they're created to be it's yeah, awesome that's really cool isn't it? yeah and then we got two at home got a senior yeah. this year so uh, we crazy. just we just had one starter freshman year and, uh, <laughs> don't blink oh shut up i don't want to hear it <laughs> dan do you have a who uh, somebody a who that's remarkable well i was gonna say my my kids i I'm just, you can say that this is yours <laughs> yeah that that's the who for me is 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 my all my kids and yeah. um and my wife um, my oldest daughter, I'm so very, very, very proud of her. Yeah. She's uh, She has come up such a long way in the past year. I had two daughters that got married this year, and uh, guess who married them? And uh, uh-huh. that's incredible. And they have both have great husbands. And, oh, that's awesome. Um, Looking forward to some basketball and volleyball That's and right. oh, band. There's a Union City. <laughs> there's a Union City O'Brien County scrimmage coming up soon. Thursday. Thursday. That's right. But let me tell you, no yeah, volleyball. Oh. And the volleyball coach at Union City. I don't know one about O'Brien County, but the volleyball coach at Union City is hot. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Whatever. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm not interested in other hot women. <laughs> I'll look. I'll tell, I'm I think interested I'm, in a hot. Woman. I may ask her out. I may ask her out. Uh, but anyway, so Judy Powell, do you have a what? I do. All right. What is your what? Swimming pools. Swimming. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Being y'all, wet. y'all, it's 100 and something degrees outside right now. That's right. Talk about. Uh, yeah, no, like decks. heat wave. The guy on the TV said it's going to be hotter than a billy goat with a flame with a flamethrower. <laughs> and and I, I, was like, I was like, I don't know what that means, but I think that's hot. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, soccer practice is canceled because but of it the is heat because index. the heat index. That's it's wow. going to be up. It, for those of you that don't know, in Northwest Tennessee, it is going to be up in um, like the one 
tens yeah, at heat index. Yeah, crazy hot. Um, absolutely crazy Maybe I should hot. say air conditioning instead of pools. Uh, yeah, <laughs> so, so Jody is, is shopping pools. We went and bought some new patio furniture because it looks like they're going to dig a hole in our backyard Yay. here. Yeah, I know. Well, exciting. I am excited. Um, but anyway, okay, swimming pools, do you have a who? I'm going to say Dan and Julie. Um, uh, they are incredible. Friends they? to us since we got here, and they reached out to us and made us feel welcome. And I'm inspired not only by just their friendship, but their bravery. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, no, guys, absolutely. You guys have taken Takes guts. Um, quite a few leaps of faith that um, I want to, and sometimes I'm too scared to. So mm-hmm. thank yeah. you for modeling yeah. that for us yeah. as fellow leaders in this mm-hmm. um, journey. Yeah. Thanks. Absolutely. So um, to bring it back. Uh, away from what's your what, Jeremy? Uh, this pretzel dip is incredible. <laughs> and Jody makes this pretzel dip, and it's like a mixture of heaven and angel's breath. And uh, and and I've been dipping. We don't have any pretzels on the table, um, but but I've been dipping wheat thins in it. And oh my goodness gracious! I told you it's always food. <laughs> that is incredible, uh, but it is remarkable if you what's haven't seen it. Mayonnaise. I can't tell you on the podcast. It's on. Oh, come on. We'll have to wait. It's a secret. We could tell you, but then we have to. If you're Jewish, you can't eat it because there's pork product in. That's right. That's right. All of our Hebrew friends have to avoid it. Well, you got the hummus hummus here here. to to (laughs) offset. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, my who is remarkable is is um, is a rapper and his name is NF. And if you guys are not aware, he's a Christian. He's a rapper who's a Christian. He's he's one of those guys like I write music. Isn't for. that a uh, an oxymoron? Well, what he says is a rapper is a Christian. What he says, I'll tell you this. This is let me tell you why it's remarkable. He he said, look, I just write music for everybody. He happens to be a believer, so his music is clean. And what is is neat about that genre? A lot of times, the, the rap genre is known for uh, its violent lyrics, mm-hmm. its misogynistic lyrics, its foul language, and he's doing it clean. He released an album last week um, now, right? It was Tuesday. I think albums drop on Tuesday. Right. He released an album on Tuesday, and it and it, it peaked higher than Chance the Rapper's release. Oh, wow. So number one on the charts right now, the Billboard Top 100. Number one is NF, this rapper that's a Christian, this clean yeah, rap album. Yeah, that's a big album, deal. Yeah. And Chance the Rapper, number two. Um and that is absolutely phenomenal. And, and if, you, some young if you haven't, if you haven't listened to his album, his new album out is called "The Search," and it's um, good. he talks about in all of his albums, he talks about his battle through depression and uh, anxiety, and uh, mom and dad divorced when um, when yes. he was little, and mom I think uh, OD'd on drugs, mm-hmm. and he found her as a boy, mm-hmm. um, and had to deal with all that. I'm, I'm probably messing up the story, so go read about it himself. But he's absolutely remarkable, and and his songs so far um, uh, that I've listened to are just really really great. I'll so have to tell my kids about NF. They probably already know. They probably already know all about him. Uh, Dave and Julie, thank you so much for coming. I do want to get a quick plug in for Awaken Northwest Tennessee. We launch uh, on Saturday night, uh, the 17th of August, with a, uh, a kickoff event at um, the Capitol Theater here in Union City. It's Come One, Come All. It's free, 6 o'clock. If you have not picked up a prayer packet, um, come pick one up. Um, super proud of all that we've given away. We need about 836 volunteers uh, to make it happen. And uh, as of right now, I was doing the math. We have 200, a little less than 250 prayer packets to give away still. Um, and uh, and like I've been saying, I probably should be a lot more worried about what we're going to do with those 250 prayer packets, but I'm not. Um, I just gonna think happen. They're, they're going to be given away. So if you need a prayer packet, if you need information, info at awakennwtn.com. 
www.awakennwt.com or the website is awakennwtn.com. You can go find us there. If you want to find Jody or I on social media, you can find me. I'm on Instagram at Powell Jeremy. Jody is. Chasing the Mongoose 20. If you'd like to email us, it's jeremy at crosswindchurch.net or jody jgap20 at gmail.com. It is not jody jgap. It is just jody. I'm jody though. <laughs> you are jody. <laughs> okay, y'all. Hugs, thanks so much for coming and hanging out late with us on a Sunday night. And uh, until next time, see you then.